Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Jeff Reed Hughes, who heads up UK sales for Assess First. And this is part of our series of uh, recruiting in the future. Um, and I first came across Assess First when I attended one of their webinars. I was really impressed by uh, the product itself, but also the understanding of um, how this can work in the recruitment sector. Um, so I'm very pleased uh, to be joined by Jeff, who himself has, I think, 15 years in recruitment. Jeff, is that correct? That's right. Hello. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. That's right. I, I until you know, moving into the testing environment, spent just under 16 years uh, helping organisations find strong technical and, and IT-based staff for their organisations um, across a couple of well-known uh, recruiting businesses in the UK. So you you did those 16 years in recruitment. Uh, you then moved to work for a well-known test publisher and last year became head of UK sales for Assess First. Now, for our listeners, um, Jeff will have uh, in the, the notes for this podcast episode, there will be a link which, um, stick with us, will offer you 10% off Assess First services if you're interested. So we'll point back to that later on. But let me start, Jeff, with the question. What made you want to work with Assess First? Do, do you know, I think there's there's lots of examples in the world right now of organisations that are trying to solve old-fashioned problems in an innovative, positive 21st century uh, method and assess first has actually a really exciting platform that I was aware of uh, for, for some time but I hadn't really been in the UK at that time that that has a, a unique flavor on how to help organizations do recruitment in a more effective efficient and predictive way using science and there's, there's nobody else really doing that in that way at the moment and so for me it was just an opportunity to get into something which is really exciting that was absolutely in the centre of my expertise, but gave me an opportunity to be part of doing something that was exciting, different, and and technologically advanced from everybody else. And it was it was it just felt like a fantastic fit for what I was trying to achieve. There are a lot of products and tests out there, and I find when I speak to recruitment business owners, very often um, their experience has been purely limited to. Um, what they generally refer to as personality tests, in other words, behavioural preferences, if you will. Um, and in fact, there's a huge, big applications for recruitment that go outside of that. And I, um, I've also 
found that recruiters, I'd like to come on to this later, I found that recruiters struggle to get client buy-in to this process um, very often. Uh, so tests where they are used are often used um, in a bit of a random way. In other words, we don't know what we're looking for, but we'll make them do a test and see what it, <laughs> what it yields. So we'll come back and explore all of those things. Um, but let's make some more sense to start with this. What would you say, with your knowledge of recruiters and their clients, what would you say are the business challenges of today that Assess First can actually address? Well, I think there are many. I, I think the most obvious place to start in the current environment is the sheer volume of applications that, that our clients are telling us that they're receiving for candidates. So number one is just the, the you know the practical time implication of, of having that many applications come into the inbox of a recruiter in, in most organizations at the moment. And then beyond that, to actually find a way of differentiating one candidate from another using something that is objective and verifiable. And historically, I think people would you know say, well, that's what a CV is for. And I think the challenge that that presents in the modern climate is that Everybody's saying the same thing on those CVs. It's very difficult to verify what's actually behind the text that's on the paper or the screen that uh, the recruiter or the HR leader is looking at nowadays. And so uh, in order to be able to effectively choose which candidates are the most appropriate candidates to take forwards, we find that a lot of recruiters, whether that's agency or actually within an end user client, are finding it increasingly challenging to, to sort the most appropriate candidates for the roles that they're trying to fill. And, and that if you take that to the next level, what that means is not only is there a significant wastage in terms of the time spent from a recruiter perspective, but also once those candidates reach line management, either via an agency or via the internal function, there's also a knock-on business impact to them of not having the most appropriate or suitable candidates in front of them uh, at the first stage or second stage interview in, in that process. And so we see a lot of time slippage. We see a lot of economic harm that's happening at the moment just because of the sheer volume of candidates. But then once we get there, actually those candidates not having any really objective or science-based discern discernible method by which they can select which ones are the most appropriate ones to take sports. There are many other examples, Alison, but I think you know right now in the current climate, they're probably the two most obvious. So... Um... The, it's partly a factor of how easy it is for, for candidates now to apply for jobs, isn't it, that gets you these huge volumes. But there's also some sectors which have clearly been heavily hit by the pandemic and have higher levels of unemployment and people are chasing um, fewer jobs. Looking at the flip side of that coin, many of the clients that I work with are actually in very high demand areas uh, for example, providing key workers, healthcare workers, energy workers, and so forth, and they don't have that issue. Um, they, you know, of of high, very high volumes of candidates, um, and so a lot of those people might be switching mentally, switching off and thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because actually I have real problems getting candidates, so I don't want to put another obstacle in the way. What would you say to those people? It's an objection that, you know, as a, as a former recruiter myself, I can very well understand. <laughs> you know, having <laughs> sat in that chair, I, I absolutely understand what the barriers to success are 
for somebody uh, that's recruiting, especially so if they're working in an organization that's providing candidates as an agency. What, what I would say is, is this. Um, in selecting candidates, I, the thing that I found most challenging in my career was to you know understand who the people I was presenting as candidates really were, because my clients were forming opinions on me and my ability to select the best people based upon the interactions that they had with the candidates that I had chosen to present them. And so what I'd say is this, I think that what a tool that is a, um, a selection tool like ours does is actually allows us as recruiters to understand not so much who the candidates say they are or what's written on the CV, but to go a layer deeper and see who these people really are. And the reason that matters is in a candidate short market is that if we are understanding who the people that we're presenting are more effectively in a deeper way and we can understand their propensity for success in the roles that we're sending them, that will enhance the client relationship and will maximise the opportunity to uh, actually make the placement. And it protects the commercial time of the recruiter because they know that in a candidate short market where they find someone good, if they can better understand their propensity for success in those roles that they're presenting them for, they protect the time that they invest in managing that person through a process. So just because we're candidate short doesn't mean that a tool won't help you. It absolutely will. It just means that you're protecting the time that you spend using, sorry, looking for uh, that candidate to find a good role rather than spending more time finding other candidates. So if you've got a, if you're in a sort of high demand sector, then your point here is actually about giving everyone everyone client and candidate and the recruiter who's involved in the in the job filling process confidence that from the small um number of candidates you have these ones are the guys to follow through on and lavish your attention on is that is that an accurate paraphrase i think so i think that's you know that's a big part of it but you know the the, the other layer to that is about the experience that everybody gets through that process you know and i think it's important, in, in certainly if you're in a candidate short marketplace, any value that you can add to those candidates to make sure that they attach themselves to you and the service that you're providing over an, uh, a competitor to you will give you that advantage and make them buy into what you're doing more effectively. And, you know, when you are candidate short, the value of a quality candidate goes up mm. significantly. So any any improvement that we can help a, an agency recruiter or, or, for that matter, anybody in industry um, how we can improve that experience for the for the candidate, but also for the recruiter in terms of the smoothness with which they can identify and manage those people through a process has to be a benefit. Mm. Okay, so um, we're saying that actually a really good process, as long as it's not over burdensome, a really good process can actually attract candidates um, and keep them more engaged in that the, that particular recruitment exercise. I think that's, is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, in the modern era, and I mean, we've all been there, I've been there myself, where, you know, you make that job application and then a day, two days later, you get a one-line email back that says, thanks, but no thanks, right? And that is a very, very common experience and that's only in heightened in, in the current climate. And what we're saying is, wouldn't it be better that everybody gets a really smooth, luxurious experience from an application process and everybody gets a takeaway, irrespective of whether they're successful or not. If everybody takes something from that engagement, that, that boosts the uh, 
um, the positivity of, of the brand that they are engaging with, whether, again, that's end user or agency, mm. they're more likely to engage and interact with you because they understand that no matter what happens next, they're taking something away, an understanding of themselves. We give every candidate that, are, that uses their tool, uh, they all get an in-depth feedback report, irrespective of whether they were successful in an application or mm. not. But the, the experience that people get from engaging with our tool is actually unparalleled in the UK marketplace right now. And we've, we've found that it, it boosts the satisfaction and the engagement levels uh, that candidates have with the process that they're in because they feel as though it's not one-way traffic. They're getting something in return. Do you have any statistics that, that back that up, Jeff? Yeah, we do. So, uh, yeah, we have, for example, I'll, I'll give you one. So for every every 100 candidates that we send our questionnaires to, 86 of them complete all three. So that, by industry standards, is very, very high. And what we find is that statistically, once candidates have completed those questionnaires, and they're involved in that scientific process, they stay in that process. We don't get dropouts. And the reason for that is because they feel as though they're being enhanced, enriched, and it's not simply a scenario where they're giving over information and getting nothing in return. Yeah, and I, I can certainly recognise that. That um, It's going back a bit now, but when I've been involved in selection or promotion processes, you fill out a questionnaire and then you hear nothing um, about it, you know, um, so that is, it does feel very one way. Just a note under GDPR, of course, there is a, uh, let me get this right, there is a right to decline if your data is being processed automatically. How does that, how does that sit with using Assess First at an early stage of the selection process then? So when you engage with our tool, you're in control of your data. It can be deleted by you at any time. You can do that. You don't even need to write into us and ask us to remove it. You can do it yourself. So as a candidate, you are in control of your data. We find that, that has been the most effective way to build confidence in the end user, like the candidate or delegate, if you like, that their, that their data is being processed in accordance with their own comfort levels. Um, but of course, you know, if somebody wishes to decline uh, they should they should have that a conversation with either the recruiter or the um, the end client. We're not saying that we're automating decision making processes. That absolutely isn't what we're doing. Mm. What we do is we empower better decision making with scientifically backed data that comes out of our questionnaires. That that ultimately is what Assess First does. We we're not actually automating a selection process. It still absolutely is a human being that makes a decision as to whether they progress somebody through to the next phase or not. We just empower them with a level of data that they didn't have before they engaged with us. So one of the issues that um, that recruiters share with me a lot are that um, they find assessment tools difficult to explain to the client. They find, oh yes, that they um, are not integrated with their own CRM and nobody needs another channel to manage you know um, on top of all, all the LinkedIn accounts and your and your job board accounts and your um, you know other feeds on you know via uh, via different sources plus managing your CRM um, and the biggest thing that comes up time and time again across all sectors is that um, clients, them, the, the, my clients' clients, i.e. the end users, are really wedded to using CVs as the primary recruitment tool. 
Um, which makes me really mad because if it really was about CVs, then we'd all, everyone in recruitment would be, have been out of a job decades ago. Um, but it, it's, it's definitely the case that people want to see CVs that in effect say, yeah, this candidate's already done this job. Um, therefore, they're a dead cert. You know, they've worked in your industry. They've held a job of this level of seniority. Um, there's a tendency to confuse uh, the fact that someone's done a job with whether they've done it well um, and yeah. to assume that, for example, five years history of, of doing certain things means that that's a guarantee that it's going to work in a in a different environment. So um, that moves me on really to my, my next question. Those are some examples of reasons that recruiters haven't engaged um, fully in the past with assessment tools um i'd like to just talk about your your experience and what the what the classic obstacles are that you that you've encountered how assess first gets over those um would be really good to know sure i mean there's a lot in there (laughs) (laughs) yes you're right let me unpack that let me just start with what in your view are the reasons why recruiters don't engage with assessment tools. I think we hear it all the time, and you know, and candidly, Alice, and as someone that used to be a recruiter myself, most agencies work on a success-based model, which you know, as we all know, means that if you don't fill the vacancy, the work that you've done doesn't get rewarded. So there is a natural uh, reluctance to introduce into that process things which could be perceived as obstacles to success. I understand that. I've lived in that world for a long time. That is the first objection that we see. The second one that we see is that they don't understand or people don't understand the science or they believe that their clients don't care about uh, the the test outcome, psychometrics generally, or some of the other elements that an assessment tool like ours can help with or protect against. And I think that that is often a, a, a misnomer because in a number of cases, you know, briefings are taken from line managers who don't have the same perspective on a scenario as an HR leader does. And uh, recruitment, agency recruitment is, is broadly speaking, it's about a blend of quality and speed. And I get that, you know, those things are important. What we're saying is this. Using a science-based tool, and this could be assessed first, it could be others. Of course, you know, our listeners here, you know, they need to be confident on their science, right? They need to make sure that the science is good. That's the first thing. Uh, but once we get beyond that, using a science-based tool will allow and, and present many opportunities. We are not removing human decision-making process. I think that's really important to stress. You know, we're talking about an AI-based predictive tool here, but what we're doing is we're empowering the people that are using that tool to make better decisions with the information that presents. We're not taking those decisions away. Secondly. Whilst we would say in a perfect world, we would encourage our users to ask themselves the difficult question. And the difficult question is, do I absolutely really, 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 really need somebody that has experienced in this job to do it for me? Is it better to find somebody that exhibits the potential for success in this role in my environment in the future or somebody that says they've done it well in another environment, which is totally different to mine in the past? Mm. So that's a difficult question to to ask yourself. 
Um, but when you use a tool which actually will give you some science to predict the likelihood of success in, in a specific environment, we can then use that to make human decisions about who the right candidates to present are. So we're not saying don't use a CV. As much as in a perfect world, we don't think you'd need a CV anymore. We're realists. We recognise that CVs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. It feels a shame that we're still doing this the same way we were doing this 100 years ago. I think that's probably worth considering that candidates that have just been presented on the basis of a CV and an interview is pretty much what we've been doing for the last century. Mm, mm. Um, however, we recognise that that, that's, you know, that takes time to change. So what we're saying is if, if, you, if your client absolutely wants a CV, absolutely give it to them. There's no challenge there. But give them the CVs of the candidates that have got the experience or the ones that you can say have got the experience and are showing a high likelihood for success in your environment. Or if it's a role that perhaps, you know, the level of experience they've got in the role somewhere else isn't so material to their success in the future. And there are many, many examples of that. You know, there's, you know, once you take out, uh, you know, the real vocational trades and, and the sciences and, and um, things like lawyers and surgeons and that kind of stuff, there are many examples of, of roles which, truthfully, we don't really absolutely have to have experience. What our tool does is gives you access to those people. It gives you access to do what recruiters do best, and that is to sell quality. Mm. Because, you know, if, you're, if you can present a candidate, and this is what I absolutely loved about my job when I was in recruitment, if you can sell quality, if you're a good recruiter and you can sell, then if you've got quality to sell as your candidate base, then, you know, your clients will listen to that. And the added benefit, of course, is it that actually statistically, when you use a tool like that, your, the candidates that you present into those environments are 50% more likely still to be there in, in six months, a year's time than they are when you don't use at all. So you protect your time investment as well. So there's, there's many, many reasons why you do it. They're probably the strongest ones. But again, as I'd say, that it's, it's that difficult question you have to ask yourself, what's more important to me here? Is it more important that I, can, I hire someone that says they, they've done it before? Or is it more important that I find someone that I can scientifically have confidence is the right person for my environment. Yeah, I uh, I feel that the recruitment industry um, generally is. Oh gosh, this is going to sound <laughs> sound dummy. It look there's a lot of me too recruiters out there. Yeah. Um, people without any clear differentiation to their offer in a in a rather crowded market. So if you take, for example, the total number of recruitment businesses who are registered in the UK which is uh, trading, which is about 31,000, and you divide that into the total number of other businesses which are registered in the UK, bit of a blunt instrument, but gives you broadly an idea of how many potential customers there are per recruiter, if you like, yeah. and you get to a an alarmingly low figure of 67 uh, non-recruitment businesses per recruitment business, or, put it another way, 17 um non-recruit uh, non-recruitment businesses per recruiter now bear in mind that some of those will be one-man businesses and some of them will be um don't simply never have use for the kind of skills you might be recruiting it's it's probably never been more important to differentiate yourself <laughs> than it is now and differentiating yourself with with something like assess first is is a you know can be a really powerful way to do that but we need to drill into 
um, exactly how you do that. The other stat that I just wanted to raise, which I thought might interest our audience, is about skills. So in my last podcast, I interviewed um, Jeff Wald, who is author of The The Future of Work, uh, an Amazon bestseller. And um, he showed us the science that says uh, a generation ago, skills in the workplace would pretty much last you for about 30 years you know it's perhaps two generations back now skills become many skills become obsolete after about five years not all skills um but many of them do and that's a powerful argument to me why we really need to rely less on history written on cvs as a predictor of what's going to make people successful team members, employees in the future. Anyway, I just went off on one there. Um, so differentiation, um, uh, ability to predict future performance are all good reasons. Um, let's just focus in on what Assess First can actually uh, measure or report on. So um, many recruiters will have only been aware of what they refer to as personality tests, what can we actually understand better about a candidate using Assess First? So, yeah, thanks, Simon. I think the first thing to say is that there's lots of businesses out there right now that will give you a, what we would call a descriptive report. It tells you who that person was when they took the questionnaire, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're, they are they're, obviously the science quality varies, but broadly speaking, they're usually pretty accurate. And uh, they can tell you what who somebody is right now or who they were when they took the questionnaire and the environment that they were in. Where Assess First starts is where most of those businesses stop. And, and what I mean by that is this. we Of course, we have our questionnaires. We assess personality. We assess motivation. And we assess you know brain power or cognitive ability, if you like. And what we look for is the cross-section that's right for the environment that our clients have that's unique and bespoke to them to identify the people that are most likely to be successful in their specific environment. So our cross-section, using the the database algorithms that we have within our app online, allows us to build using, if, if you would so desire, even things like your existing team's performance data and um, their their annual review ratings or whatever data, objective data point you wanted to use to actually build a really tight predictive model that is unique and bespoke to the environment that the candidate is asking to enter into. So what that means is we'll give you the description. We'll give you that PDF document that tells you who the person is and what that means and the questions that you should ask them at interview. Of course we do. We'd see that as an absolute bare minimum. But actually, where we get really exciting as a tool, and when I talked to you right at the beginning of this this chat here about why I wanted to join Assess First, was they go we go so far beyond that into actually predicting the likelihood of success in a particular role. We could we also are able to predict the likelihood of two individuals or groups of individuals working collaboratively together uh, and efficiently uh, towards a common goal. We are able to predict. Uh, the likelihood of certain teams performing in a particular way based on the makeup of the individuals that are in it. And we can cross-reference an individual across multiple areas that they could be relevant for in terms of internal mobility in an organization as well. 
So we're about looking into the future, not looking into the past. And I guess that really comes back to, you know, the, the very nature of, of um, what I said we're trying to do. We're trying not to look at what's happened historically. We're trying to do it differently. We're the HR software version of an Uber. You know, if, if, if we didn't have a business like ours, people would still be stood on the street corner with their hands in the air across London. And that that isn't the way people do that anymore because it's the same way it was done for many, many years. And we're the same, but from a, from an HR tech perspective, and we're saying, look, we can look into that future. We can tell you by a candidate's questionnaire outcomes how likely they are to be successful, motivated, and a good element for the team in any one of in a number of environments in the organization. And we can prove with some scientific, scientific rigor that those people get up to speed two and a half times more quickly than ones that are hired without using our tool that on average, they're 30% more effective than people that are hired not using our tool. And as a result of that, we can reduce attrition of new hires at 18, well, 12 and 18 months from in some cases as high as 50% down to 10%. So there are some really, really strong arguments as to why an organization should use a tool like ours so that they can automate the science, not the decision-making, but the science that gives them the power to make better choices for how they uh, invite people into their organization or how they select the right candidates to present to their clients to enhance that experience. Right. Now we're talking Turkey. So what you're saying is that Assess First actually supports the, the, the missing bit, in my experience at least, um, the bit that's been missing so far, which is actually having some sort of science around defining what the skills and aptitude mix is that you need for a job rather than just asking a candidate questions about themselves and then a client you know reading through without actually having thought well what do I need for the job so I've repeatedly worked with people who have um, who've done that half of the of the equation if you like so they've never sat down and said what does this job actually need they've asked people to fill out questionnaires and then looked at that at the report for problems um and those problems may not be problems uh for that job it's that, it's that classic thing if you ask yourself i've got all this information and you can get information from any one of a number of different businesses that provide psychometric questionnaires if you like but it's that classic sales question that i used to train junior recruiters to ask themselves why does this matter why why should my client care that I'm giving them this information. That's, you know, the most basic, you know, sales thing you teach people is, you know, don't just tell them what it is, tell them why they should care about it. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately the nub of what we're saying is we can give you that data, if you like, in the same way that everybody else does. I mean, if you want it that way, but the real value of what we do and where we, we kind of leap forward into the 21st century is, we tell you why that's of benefit to you, why this candidate is right for your organization. Or, and here's the killer, in some instances, why this candidate's not right for your organization as well. Because uh, it's not just about you know everybody being the perfect match. It is also about understanding what are the leading indicators of success, but also what are the leading indicators I can see from my existing team or my community of applicants what are the leading indicators for lower performance as well? And 
you don't get any of that from a you know a descriptive standalone document and that as i said you know that that for us really is if you like that smoking gun of what makes us unique is that we we're going a a scientific layer or probably several scientific layers deeper and telling our clients this is why what we're telling you matters and this is how it benefits you to know this okay so using assess first will give recruiters a structured way of getting the client to participate in um, understanding what is required for peak performance in that job. And then we've got something to actually um, compare the profiles of candidates against, which is actually a big step forward. And you mentioned before that you the, the tool measures both personality, motivation and cognitive ability. And in old fashioned tests, I know very often those two things were separated and it involved two tests. But you're saying this is all in one. But we, yeah, I mean, we, we have one outcome. I mean, the, the individual questionnaires are, are individual around each of those elements. But ultimately, it leads to one outcome. And the one outcome is how likely is this person to be successful in your environment? And um, again, I know recruiters often say, well, you know, I get a very, very wordy report. What, in fact, do they get with Assess First? You, well, you get what you want is the answer. You can have, if you, some some people, and this is a great thing about working in this industry, you build that understanding that different people want different things. Some of us love the data. Some of us love to go really deep into the science. Others of us don't. Other of us just want a number to work against and say, okay, this person scores X. That means... So I, 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 it indicates how interested in their profile I am. So we'll give everybody what they need. If you want to go deep into the, the feedback, into the clickable feedback that we have online, you can do that. You can print and download those reports. You can print and download interview guides and scoring mechanisms to understand how good a match those people are to your competency-based questions. We can give you that. We do give clients that. Some of them just want a user interface, a, a nice kind of clean graphic that has everything centralized in one place that integrates with their ATS system that that is a central point of access and it gives them recommendations as to what to do that's all nice and centralized and clickable. We can we have that within the app as well. That's probably the most popular area of the app. So it really does depend upon what the individual wants from it. And the beauty of how we built it is there's something there for everybody. Okay. Thank you. Right. So nice graphic simple graphic interface if that's what you want. It will show you a fully rounded um the area of overlap or if you like between the job and the and the candidates um and you mentioned high levels of of user acceptability in other words candidates um are more engaged in the process because they go through this um so uh in in terms of there's one aspect that uh, i think is really worth underlining and listeners if you're getting interested there will be a discount code coming at the end of this podcast. Um, one of the things that is coming more and more to the fore for recruiters that I work with is that their clients are looking through their supply chain and they're asking, what are you doing about diversity and inclusion? And um, it's not enough to say, oh, well, we have an equal opportunities policy. What they want to know is whether their recruiters or their recruitment partners are actually going out to underrepresented groups um, and are actually trying to to, um, eradicate or minimise unconscious bias as well. So would you like to just talk our listeners through briefly um, how 
assess first contributes to that agenda? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the easiest way to answer that is that we're interested in in questionnaire data and, and truthfully not much else. Um, so what do I mean by that? Well, our questionnaires uh, don't ask any questions uh, that you would say are related to the protected characteristics that people are open to discriminate against or show potentially either conscious or unconscious bias against. So what that means is we uh, we ask for an email address and if you if you want to, you could simply just enter an email address and take the questionnaires and nothing else. You know, candidates are able to select uh, the pronouns that they feel most comfortable using. Um, whichever ones they want to use are uh, are available in the system, and then obviously all of the reporting data that comes out appropriate to the particular selection that they've made. But you know, we said at the beginning of this uh, conversation that you know we've got an unbiased algorithm, and what that means is the only data that we collect to, to facilitate the development of that algorithm is the actual questionnaire data that's generated. So that means that we don't even hold data on on uh, things like ethnicity. We don't ask those questions around ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, any of the information that is open to conscious or unconscious bias. It is simply based upon. The particulars of the questionnaire outcomes that people have, and we then built an algorithm around that, which scores applicants as appropriate using that, those data points. So we removed it all. So much, in fact, that actually last year we identified a potential, and it was only a potential problem that potentially could have meant that, uh, in the most extreme case, that, they, that that some unconscious disadvantage could have been uh, applied in one of our questionnaires. And as such, we completely rewrote it. So uh, our cognitive ability questionnaire, as an example now, is structured in such a way as you don't even need to be able to read to complete it because it's about problem solving and understanding how to, you know, um, understand new information. So you could even click on that and have spoken word if you came from a disadvantaged environment where your your handling of, of, of written language isn't as strong as you might like it to be. Okay, so that's powerful. Loads of things have got into that that make that I think as inclusive as it could possibly be. But you know what? We don't sit in an ivory tower on this either. We recognise that new new science comes around all the time, and as a consequence of that, we've got our own science team and our, uh, that are looking at our questionnaires constantly for ways in which we can improve and tinker and inter- iterate with them to make sure that they are as inclusive as they could possibly be. And that's something that you know we look at on a on a daily basis to make sure that everybody is is uh, starting from a level playing field when they use our tool mm, okay thank you so what from what you're saying there logically the uh, the earliest opportunity um in within the let's call it the selection funnel um if, if um uh, an assess first or something similar is introduced at the earliest possible opportunity we're going to get a completely different long list if you will for a job, potentially, than would have been produced from just scrutinising CVs. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, thing to, the point to, to make on that, Alison, is just to make sure that our listeners understand is, you know, uh, the use of our questionnaires is unlimited. So there is no, there's no kind of decision making that goes in, in your brain about which people are the right ones to send questionnaires to. Once people become, you know, they join us and become uh, a working partner with us, the number of questionnaires that they're able to distribute to applicants or internal people already in within, within the organisation is unlimited. There's no implication to doing that. So, you know, by by proactively 
sending them to as many people as we possibly can. We encourage as objective, a diverse and inclusive um, candidate pool as we as you could possibly have. Okay, right. So quick, because I think most recruiters will recognise this situation where there's, let's say they're recruiting for a senior role, but there's a cost implication per test, if you like, that basically makes you know, tends to make people only introduce this at the very bottom of the selection funnel. Yeah, when you're down to the say, let's say the final three candidates, and at that point, so many potentially biased decisions have already been made. Um, and I know from hard experience that a client shown the profiles of of people at that stage will uh, very often have actually sort of intuitively made their mind up already. And if they if um, uh, a test throws up um, new evidence, they go, yeah, well, I prefer to trust, trust my instincts and ignore it. <laughs> or they read that the, the report and they say, yeah, I knew that all along. So it becomes very much a sort of, um, you know, self-fulfilling, as it were, at, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're not saying validate the decision you've already made. We're saying help. We're saying we help you make a better decision. Yeah. And Good. That, I think that's that's key. And and um, you, you know, I think there are once you take away that that kind of internal conversation that users have around when to spend the money on the assessment, and just say, okay, well. It's, I'm not spending an X amount of pounds by assessing this one, two, three, five people, whatever. It's all included in what I've budgeted for for the year. It's another form of bias you remove because as humans, we've already prejudged that situation. Mm. Okay. Final question, I think. Are there any situations that you can think of when it's not appropriate in recruitment to use a product like Assess First? You know, the thing I think we hear the most is, oh, well, you know, I, uh, I want my if I if I need a brain surgeon, I'd like to know that that person's done it before. Uh, we, <laughs> and if I if I need a lawyer, then I'd like to know that that person I'm using, I'm hiring has been a lawyer before. And so they're not recruiting. And that's in that particular scenario. People would say, oh, well, I'm not using I'm not recruiting potential. I'm recruiting experience. And we hear that sometimes. And it's a common objection that we hear to to our tool. The, the, what I would say to that is this. We totally agree. You know, I wouldn't want a brain surgeon operating on me that didn't have experience either. What we're saying is, which of all the talent of brain surgeons that are out there, or the lawyers or solicitors that are out there, which of them is the right fit for you? We're saying which of them, even though in some instances you need experience, and we recognise there are some instances where, of course, you need experience. There's still people with experience that are going to be a better or a less equal fit for your environment that are going to exhibit more or less potential to be of higher value to you than others. So in those scenarios, we change the narrative slightly and say, look, of course, you need to check what this person's done before you need to verify their competence. We get that we understand that. But even so, we can still use our tool to verify which of those people of experience are the ones that are the best fit for our environment. So I don't see many scenarios, if any, where you can't use the tool, although we acknowledge that in some areas, clearly, the importance of experience is is greater than others but even in those environments it's still about the potential for return as part as recruiting one individual over another over another even if we're comparing two people that have experience right so two brain surgeons for example can both be equally dexterous and skilled at doing the operation but one will work better in your organization because of the cultural fit and their behaviors and the way they interact with their colleagues yeah 
Of course, yeah, absolutely. And the relationships they're capable of building with the people that are in that that particular environment already, naturally, some people will be better at that than others, given the demographic of the people that are already there. What we're saying is, yeah, yeah yes, you need someone that's done it before. <laughs> <laughs> but within the community of people that have done it before, some will exhibit more likelihood to fit than others in your particular environment. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, sadly, we've run out of time, um, but I think our listeners can tell from how animated we are. Like the, we're both really strong believers in this. From a commercial point of view, uh, recruiter listeners, uh, I would urge you to look at this as, as an option in terms of differentiation, in terms of really adding value to the process. And um, of course, if diversity and inclusion is an issue for your clients, absolutely look at assess first now in the notes to this podcast there will be um a link uh, by which people can reach you jeff yes yes absolutely if people click on that link uh they can reach me there and uh you know as a consequence of coming via that method they would qualify for the for the uh, discount code that we spoke about at the beginning of the conversation okay and um the assess first website obviously also shows what lovely clear graphics um and will give you some preliminary detail do get in touch with jeff um uh, jeff thank you so much for taking part in this um it's been really enjoyable um I'm Alison Humphreys of Recruitment Leadership, and if you'd like to talk about differentiation uh, and um, actually bring, taking yourself forward into the new normal, um, this is one example of a, a whole range of solutions that um, I might be able to talk to you about. So thank you for listening. Jeff. thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to Assess First as well. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.